morning, Church of the Valley, and thank you for joining us as we begin our second week of our new series, In the Beginning, Jesus. We began last week, In the Beginning, the beginning of Genesis that means the beginning. And we began the Bible where the Bible begins in the story of the beginning. But as we tackled last week, and we'll see even more this week, the creation story, the beginning of Genesis, is not an exhaustive example of the how all things came into being as much as a narrative to the why all things came into existence. And today, I hope as we continue in this, as we study this as a community, that we can find out just a bit more about the why today as we study Genesis together. Let's begin where we left off last week, Genesis chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 14. Here's what it says. And God said, let there be lights in the vaults of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them serve as the signs to mark sacred times and days and years. Last week, we saw in the creation story that God said, let there be light, and there was light. Today, we see that God used lights to be placed in the sky, which could include both stars and planets, which to us are enormous beings of substance and of gas, but to God and his hugeness, They are things that can be placed in the sky by his will. And these lights would also give mankind a way to tell time, the seasons, the days, the weeks, the months, and the years. Throughout history and scripture, we see events being told based on moments in time through the interpretation of where the stars are in the sky or eclipses or other natural events amongst the cosmos. And God placed these lights in the vault of the sky for the benefit of mankind. Now, I know what some of you may be thinking, that that might make us as humans seem too important, because it's almost like God placed these things for our amusement, but I'd contend that he placed these things in the cosmos for our benefit. Looking into the night sky is beautiful, and it ought to point us back to the bigness of our God, who is the creator and architect of it all, and his creative nature and ability to create to create and to do and to make things that man could never do themselves, we can discover what God has revealed, but we cannot create something out of nothing. But these, this brings up a pretty great point. I want to make sure that we cover today is that the things that God created were to benefit mankind, to sustain life, and to allow mankind created in his image the terrain to live and breathe and to multiply. But again, it may create in us this entitled perspective that I am not attempting to communicate as we study Genesis, but this ought to cause us to be more in awe and reverence and worship to our God who does these magnificent, grandioso things. These past few weeks, I had time to rest. I had time to reflect on the year of 2020, and in some ways it was amazing, in some ways it was pretty rough. But I started to reflect on the blessings and the trials that our community as Church of the Valley had endured. Now, it's 2021 now, and if you had told me in the middle of the pandemic, in those, uh, in those first nine to ten months as we started to have to do church differently, if you had told me that the things that would happen in our community would happen through different means of even meeting— using YouTube and Zoom and FaceTime and Discord, if you were to tell me that we would have a time of takeaways every single week from 45 minutes to an hour of many, many people in our community sharing their takeaways and what God was stirring in them, 
If you had told me that we as a community would have studied the books of Titus and 1 Peter and Habakkuk and Colossians, plus a series on some of the basics of the Christian faith throughout the year of 2020, if you had told me that financially God would provide above and beyond what we had expected even prior to the pandemic, if you had told me any of these things, I wouldn't have believed you. Because none of those things make any sense without God's hand and will being involved. And so as I looked back at 2020 and asked the Lord to show me if we have, if we have been headed in the right direction over the past year, through his quiet voice and his clear word and sitting still and not trying to do something before I verified if I actually understood what he meant, here's what I believe I've discovered through, through the Lord's will, that I have idols I have things in my life that take precedence over the most important thing, or at least compete for my affection for the Lord and his gospel. For me, it's been spiritual growth. And I could defend myself, which I kind of did with the Lord, because there's nothing wrong with spiritual growth, but we as a church community can't focus only on spiritual growth, which we haven't. But I know for me, spiritual growth has competed for my affections for the gospel. The gospel's here, but spiritual growth is starting to start to be prominent in my life. And so I want to take you to a very familiar passage that many of you have heard me teach and others teach many times. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1, it says this, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel that I preached to you, in which you've received, in which you've taken your stand. Paul the Apostle is writing to the, writing to the church in Corinth, and he felt led to remind them of the gospel. These were people that for 14 chapters earlier, Paul had began the letter with the gospel, and then he approaches many other subjects, but he felt it necessary to take them back to the central message of the gospel. And look at how Paul addresses the gospel in verse 3. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Now, this is how Paul addressed the term gospel, which simply means good news. And this is good news, that Jesus lived, that he died for our sins, that he was buried, that he was raised to life. This is good news. This is great news. This is the most important news for someone spiritually to ever comprehend. And even though the news is simple, it can also become something that we complicate. Because we want to make sure that we cover all the bases, or we use the words that only the intellectually elite grasp or understand. But here's the thing about the good news of God. Even though there are things about it that are black and white, mankind's need for a savior, Jesus's perfect life, his sacrificial death on the cross, and his resurrection from the dead, there are things that people in their own words are especially struck by. So I want to share with you just some of our people's own words when it comes to the gospel. This was written by a few people within the community. I'm going to begin with Erin Cheney's. Here's how she wrote out the gospel in her own words. I was born a sinner. No matter how many good things I could ever try to do, nothing could bring me back into the right relationship with my creator. So God had a plan. Before I was even born, he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to take my place, to pay the penalty I deserved. He died, but defeated death's hold over me by rising again, calling me to himself, giving me the faith to believe him as the only way to God. He has saved me now to an eternal family. 
He has replaced my guilt and fear with an assurance and joy because he satisfies my every desire with himself. He's coming back soon, and it's my privilege to invite others into the forever family. And here's another one from Gabriel Wills. He put it this way. The sin of man overcome by the son of man that men might be forgiven and made new. Born again unto life of love, hope, and faith. Created anew in the son through his passing from the dead, we are promised eternal life through his resurrection. These are participants in God's church, like you and I, who have been affected by the gospel of grace and testify to God's goodness and saving nature in their own words. Look at Paul's words as he speaks to Titus in the church in Crete. He says in Titus chapter 3, verse 4 through 7, But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out unto us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. Those are Paul's words. And if you want a simplistic version, I suck. I'm in need of a savior. And God did for me what I could not do for myself by living the life I couldn't live, dying the death I should have died, and rising from the dead victoriously, defeating death and sin and its hold that it had over me. But here's the thing. We as a community haven't been too far off track. But I know that unless we self-diagnose, if we if we don't think about and recalculate and recalibrate every once in a while, we'll get off course. It's not only possible, it's inevitable if we don't do those things. So imagine we were boarding a ship, uh, let's say from Pier 39 in San Francisco, and we chartered a course to San Diego, and we were going to go down the Pacific Ocean, down the Pacific Coast. I'd say for the past few years, we haven't been too far off course but we may just need to move a tick to the right or we'll run right into Catalina Island as we're headed for San Diego. So as I shared this with our elders and with our staff, here's what we've come up with with, that is destined to change as far as the wording is concerned, but not the purpose. That we need to recalibrate our emphasis of the redemptive plan of God to save sinners like us through Jesus's life, death, and resurrection. It's not that we don't talk about this or emphasize this at all. In fact, we do. But what I'm hoping we will do as a community is reflect on God's goodness, reminding us of this redemptive plan of God, which means when we study God's word from Romans to Genesis, from Exodus to Revelation, from Malachi to Philemon, we read it with the gospel as our lens, as our filter, and as our joy. Because the Bible is a book of redemption that unpacks the good news of grace. It may change some of what we do as a church, but it also could change our motivation behind what we do or even add an element of joy to what we're doing. So now takeaways aren't just so we can process out loud what we learned and hopefully put into practice what God is teaching us so our heart doesn't harden, but with the gospel being central, we join the takeaway call or share, share in the takeaway call to point out how the redemptive plan of God is changing us in real time. 
Maybe we join in a community group, not just because we feel like we're lacking community and so we want to fill that void, but because we know that together we can spur one another on towards grace and God's good news. Maybe we see the playlist not so much as putting in our time at church, but as a place to be reminded of the good news and be equipped with new ways to apply the gospel to our lives. So friends who are participants at Church of the Valley, we need to be like the church in Corinth as Paul reminded them of the gospel in which we preach, in which we have believed, in which we've taken our stand. By this gospel, we are redeemed. If we hold firmly to the message that we say that we believe, the gospel, the redemptive plan of God, otherwise we have believed in vain, Paul says in verse 2 of 1 Corinthians 15. And this recalibration will change how we see things and hear things and read things. So with that in mind, let's go to verse 15 of Genesis 1. Here's what Moses continues to write. And let them be in the lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. The stars in the sky were markers of time, lights in the middle of darkness, and objects of exploration for time and for the terrain. Unfortunately, for centuries and centuries, people have been worshiping the creation of these things, from the sky to the moon to the sun and the stars, which were not the purpose for the creation to be worshiped, but were created as an example of God's bigness, as markers for time, and for the purpose of gravitational pull, and was placed to keep the solar system in its proper patterns and rhythms to sustain life on this planet. We spoke last week about the parallels of God's creation in both the natural world and the spiritual world. And we continue to see this in the creation of the lights in the sky and the stars. And what we'll read in the next few verses, the moon and the sun. Here's what it says in verse 16. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the days and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. So as I said earlier, my hope is that we don't spend all our time when we're in God's word, in Genesis or anywhere, just trying to figure out the how, but that we would look for and look to the why. Why did God create the sun and the moon and the stars? Well, they exist first to give light upon the earth, but both during the day and at night. They separate the day from the night. Second, they exist to measure the process of time for days and for years. They are the means by which we measure time. Third, they are designed to mark significant events. They are for signs and for seasons The entire record of human history confirms the truth of this. This is exactly why the sun and the moon and the stars, this is what they do. So this is the why, at least physically and pragmatically. But I think our God has another why that is a little more hidden, but is even more profound in its implications. Last week, we talked about redemptive parallels and how there are things in creation that parallel from the physical to the spiritual. I used a silly point that wasn't necessarily rooted in Hebrew language, but that we can be reminded of the gospel every day, just as the sun goes down and every night symbolizing death in darkness. And then the sun comes up the next day, which can symbolize the son of God's resurrection. 
Now, all analogies eventually break down as the son only died once and once and once for all. But it's just a simple example of us looking for these redemptive parallels. So here's another one that I want you to think about as we're looking at God creating the sun and the stars and putting these lights in the sky. God created the sun and he created the moon, which give light. But have you ever noticed that the moon doesn't actually produce light itself? But we see it in the night sky or even sometimes during the day, and the light it produces is actually a reflection of the power of the sun's light radiating off of the moon. Did you ever think that we also, as the church of the living God, do not produce our own light, but we, like the moon, reflect the light of the sun? S-O-N, not S-U-N? If you've been included in Christ, if you have trusted Jesus Christ in his lordship, that means you abide in his word and are included in his church. And for today, I'm going to get personal because I have a responsibility and commitment to those who consider themselves a part of Church of the Valley of Santa Clara. We as a community, Church of the Valley or COV as some of us call it, have a long history. This church has been around close to 70 years and it has had its ups and downs, its seasons of growth and its seasons of decline. Followers of Jesus have been produced through the work of the Spirit at COV, and people have struggled to meet Jesus while attending worship services on the campus located at 400 North Winchester. But like we always say, the church is the people, not the steeple. And the people who God has drawn and gathered as His church, as Church of the Valley, have experienced spiritual highs and lows over the past 70 years. But here is what's consistent. God has and is building his church. And we as a portion of the church of the living God do not produce our own light or our own life or our own grace. It's the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah who does this. In in the darkness, he brings light. And he brings it into the darkness of the surrounding area of Santa Clara to San Jose to Mountain View to Cupertino to Campbell to Los Gatos to Sunnyvale and beyond. He brings light into the darkness of these areas. And Jesus put it this way in John chapter 8. When Jesus spoke again in verse 12 to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He being the light of the world and the light of life, his light penetrates the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. As John says at the beginning of John chapter one in verse four, in him being Jesus was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. So church, we are mirrors of grace. We are reflections or reflectors of light and image bearers with the message of the true life that is found in Jesus Christ. And that's why Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. You, Jesus says, are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We are not creators. We are creation. And God can and does use us, his people, his creation, his church for his glory to put his son on display. 
And as we reflect this light, as God shows up and shows off through us, we then get to inform, proclaim, and invite people into relationship with our God in and through God's only Son, Jesus Christ. Our light, our good works, our obedience to God in His Word as we pursue Christ and pursue Christ's likeness and our love for Him is not without effect. It produces a reflection of light that the world can see. And when God's work and will is involved, like a moth to a flame, men, women, children, skeptic, pagan alike are drawn to that light, either through an inquisitive nature or a compelling joy that only followers of Jesus possess and that the world wants to understand. So next time you look at the moon, possibly even tonight, remember that it is like us Remember that like us, it does not produce its own light, but like the sun of the solar system, the sun of God radiates so much light that messed up sinful people like us who have been redeemed by God's grace and the death and resurrection of God's son can actually, like a mirror, send back the light of God to people around us. Like Paul says in Titus, not because of righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. We are trophies of grace, reflectors of God's light, example of God's eternal life being lived out by us. I don't think being moral, being gooder, saves us. It actually can become an idol that we attempt to justify ourselves by, but our words and our actions and our character and life are all on display for the world to see the love of God through the sacrifice of the Son of God in the response of the people of God to God's commands. That's what we do here. So how do we reflect the light of Christ during a pandemic? Well, the function may have changed, but the opportunities are still there. And in some cases, even more convenient and even more effective, community groups come to mind pretty quickly. We all are so fortunate to have Karen Miller and a bunch of different community group leaders who serve Christ by leading these groups so that people do not have to feel isolated or alone while being spurred on towards good works that God has for us as we lean in and obey his word. And as we recalibrate our emphasis of the redemptive plan of God as a community, I'd contend that being in community now is more important than ever. We want to make sure that people don't miss the gospel message. And let me be clear, I don't mean the first four books of the New Testament known as the gospels. I mean, we want to help people who have no church experience or people who have been in ministry for decades understand the central message of the good news. That as Gabe so eloquently put it, of the gospel message and explanation that the sin of man was overcome by the son of man. That even though we are sinful, God is better than our sin and offers us amnesty from our offenses in the person and work of Jesus. And if that doesn't fuel our passion, if anything else becomes the competing message for our faith, we have unfortunately miscalculated what our salvation and relationship with God is all about. So let's look at verse 20 of Genesis 1. And God said, Let the water teem with living creatures and let the birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing with which the water teems and moves about it in it. 
according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Again, I want to state what I did last week as well, that God said it and it was. We can't do this. This is God's business to speak and create. We can't and don't speak things into existence, but here God is again in the created order, speaking living creatures that teem, that dominate the waters and the birds of the air. Life is being created as God is speaking them into existence, and it was good because the creator is good. Look at verse 22. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. Moses, who's known as the author of this, that God spoke through him, Moses used this expression of fruitfulness and multiplying for mankind as well, but God says that he blessed them. To bless means to prosper and of abundance, and God has blessed the creatures of the sea and the sky. Now, there's a lot of ways that I think people tend to want to dig deeper into the creatures that were created. We talk about whales and serpents and what some translate to sea monsters, but that isn't what we're doing here. I don't want us to miss the forest for the trees. We have this creation story from the power and will of the Lord speaking things into existence. It wasn't accidental, nor do I believe it was gradual, but God spoke animals into existence, creating a precedence for human life, which we will cover in detail next week. So once again, we studied the book of Genesis, the story of creation that many upon many of us have already heard. We've already read. We've talked about it. We've studied it before, but the name of this series should tip my hand to what we're doing here. We're not here to attempt to unpack all of the how, but the why. And this book, this book of redemption does more in the way of explaining why God made the earth and the heavens and the sun and the moon and the stars and the oceans and the mountains and the land and the creatures of the water and the sky. He made all of it and it was good. Verse 23, and there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And there is this rhythm of creation and it continues until the seventh day where, spoiler alert, he will rest. So the real question is, where do we see the gospel? Where do we see the message of redemption in all of this? Is it obvious or is it hidden? Well, it's easy to go back to God's sovereignty over creation and all of this. He speaks something and it takes place. He creates through his will and his word, and he controls the moon and the stars and the sun and the earth and the space and the orbit of everything. And like our salvation, God is the initiator and catalyst for all things holding everything together, both physically and in the spiritual realm. But I want us to see that God was preparing for our arrival. He was making a way for us to come into existence. He was going to bless mankind and call us to be fruitful and multiply, which as we will study later, means something more than just reproduce physically. Look at Jesus's words to the disciples in John 14 about God's preparing nature. Let's look at John 14, starting in verse 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. 
Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Our family is in preparation mode right now for our daughter who we plan to name Finley Ireland Riley, who is due here in, uh, towards the beginning of April. And Mama, Erin, is pregnant. She's 29 weeks or so. And we have been so blessed by so many people in the community reaching out, seeing how Aaron's doing, offering meals, baby clothes, and other things that, to be honest, we didn't really keep after our first four children because we thought we were done. Good one, Lord. And we found out right around the time we also found out that somehow in God's unbelievable grace that we were going to be able to purchase a home in Santa Clara where we had committed to serving in this community, no matter what, but we had prayed for years that God somehow would supernaturally provide, and he did, in his perfect timing, more than we could ever need, and honestly, more than we could have ever wanted. But the timing couldn't have been more perfect because we thought we we're going to be fine with either a three or a four bedroom, and once we found out we were having a fifth child, we realized that we might really need to look for a five-bedroom house. Well, we got a five-bedroom house in Santa Clara, close to the church, in the middle of a pandemic, and good Lord, it's unbelievable. Even to us now, even after we've been living in the house for two months, I still wake up and go, eh, are the real owners going to show up and kick us out? And we have this room in our house that is not being used yet because our other kids are in the other rooms, but we have this room that we're preparing slowly to become the nursery where Finley is going to start to live in. We borrowed a crib, thanks Howard and Alice. We have a theme, dinosaurs in space, thanks Reagan. We put our second recliner in the room for mama to be able to rock and feed Finley one day. There are other things that we will do to this room in preparation for our new arrival, but something that most people don't know is, since last week, I've started to sneak into the room every day and just pray for Finley that she would come into this world without any complications, that she would be a healthy baby, child, and person. But I spend most of my time talking to God about this prayer that I have, that God would save Finley, that the faith of her parents and siblings would not only rub off on her, but give her a foundation that she too wants to pursue. But anything and everything we do to influence Finley is and must be in tandem with God through his spirit, the Holy Spirit, removing the veil, drawing her to himself and giving her a new life in him when he chooses to do so. And we've said it before regarding our children, we can't save them or even will them into the kingdom. In John chapter one, verses 12 through 13, John is writing, he says, yet to all who did receive him, being Jesus, to those who believed in Jesus's name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, just because they're in my family doesn't mean that they're going to become Christians, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. So we as parents, Aaron and I, we can put kindling around our children. We can love them. We can point out who Jesus is. We can teach them about the kingdom of God. We can own our mistakes. We can apologize when we're wrong. But the kindling must have a spark for the fire of the Lord to begin. And God is the only one who can light that fire in them. So as we continue to study 
the book of Genesis, and we see God creating and preparing and sustaining his creation, I see this parallel in my own life now. As we in some way start over raising another child while also discipling and training our other children in the gospel. And I'm so grateful to my God who is an intentional creator and giver and a sustainer of life. And we get to reflect his light to those around us so they too may experience the glory of the gospel of a good God who draws people to himself. And he uses us as his object lesson and the reflection of his light. And the life that he prepares for us is not one that is without risk or danger or difficulty, but one that is for God's glory, his grace, and his good. It was once said, the tragedy of life is not that it ends so soon, but that we wait so long to begin it. Multiple authors. So as we continue to study in the beginning, may we know that God had and has a plan for this life for your life, that he is preparing things for his glory and in this life and in the next life. So I just want to, that's the end of the sermon. And I hope you've been encouraged by God's word. I hope it's given you a new view of as we're studying Genesis, as we're in God's word, as we're doing things together as a community, that we would be looking and talking about and centered around the good news of Jesus Christ and his gospel. But one of the ways that you can do that is by joining a community group. They're starting this week. And so jump on the website, look at the community groups and see if any of them stick out to you. There's, uh, there's few spots left and a few different ones. And I want to encourage us as a community to jump into these because it's an opportunity for us to spur one another on with the gospel. Also, I want to let you know that as I met with the elders this past week, we discussed what it would look like as far as us meeting. We do know that right now the county, with everything going on with COVID, the numbers don't look good. But there is a, a level of, hey, we met in person a few times and we felt that it was as safe as it could be. And so our plan is that come February, we hope to do some different types of meetings as a community outside with social distance, with masks but we'll have the opportunity to get around God's word and to get to worship God together as a community, probably on Sunday mornings. And so just ask you that you'd be praying for us as we've equipped a few different people in our community to help us uh, undertake this because this is not going to just be some small thing. It's going to take multiple hands on deck to make it so we can provide Sunday mornings outside in a way that we really haven't been set up for. And then also, I want to encourage you that if you're part of Church of the Valley, if this is the place that you call home as your church community, God calls us to be uh, faithful, but also joyful givers. And so if you are growing in this place, if the gospel has taken root in your heart, if you consider Church of the Valley the place where you serve and are poured into, we'd encourage you to give. And you can do that by sending a check to the church campus or you can go on our website and there's multiple different ways to give at covalley.com forward slash giving. And so we'd encourage you to do that. I'm going to pray for us. And I hope that the rest of this playlist, the Zoom takeaway call later today and our week would all be centered on the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you for today. And I thank you for the opportunity we have to serve you and praise you and to worship you in word, to worship you in spirit, to worship you in singing, to worship you in giving, 
And God, I pray that our lives would be these, these worshipful uh, sacrifices to you because you are worthy. And I pray, God, as, as your people give of their offering, Lord, I pray that you would use it. God, would you blow our minds with the way that you use it to make disciples of all nations and generations, that you would use it to bring dead people and make them alive in the goodness of the gospel. Would hearts be transformed by this good news that you have entrusted us with? And would we share it with boldness and with a want to see men and women come to know you? We thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen.